Kundalini is a word that you hear flying around spiritual circles like crazy, but what I've noticed is that people simply accept the presence of this word without having any actual understanding of what the hell it means. So today I figured that I would clear that up for you. Kundalini, first you have to imagine God or Source or the universe as this infinite universe, which is of course made up of multiple universes, but we have to imagine this whole thing, which isn't really a thing, as a unified ocean, an infinite ocean. The universe as a whole fragmented in the same way that a zygote divides in utero. This gave rise to polarity within the universe. Polarities such as male and female, conscious and unconscious, life and death. The polarity of life and death is what actually gave rise to the birth of Kundalini. Why? Because Kundalini quite literally is life. It is life force energy. <laughs> Kundalini is the opposite of death in the way atheists view death, an empty-ended nothingness. Now it's very important to understand this. We use the word death to mean many different things. The death that a physical human experiences is simply a transition of perspective. It is not death in the way that death actually can exist in the universe as a polarity. It is not endedness. It is not nothingness at all. Kundalini is the animating force within the universe, the opposite of death. It is the precursor for any living life form, regardless of what dimension that life form exists in. So it is present even in those beings we call thought forms, such as spirit guides and demons. Just as there are characteristics for death, there are characteristics for life. And this is the characteristics of Kundalini. Things like animation. Now something I want you to think about is that stillness and movement are both animation. They're states that only exist to a state of animation. Therefore, Kundalini can be still and it can also be moving. Either way, it is a state of animation. In other words, stillness can still be very alive. <laughs> Other qualities also belong to it, like growth, change, reaction, reproduction, creation, etc. Now, the problem that we have in the universe, and it's not really that this pertains to this so much, but you have to know this for the sake of your own understanding, is that this polarity still exists and in opposition. We don't have integration between life and death. Why? Because life has not integrated death, and death has not integrated life. They are resisting one another. You can imagine yourself as a fragment within this unified consciousness, this universe I'm saying to imagine as an infinite ocean, the thing we call Source God. Now, you are a fragment that belongs to the polarity of alive. Another way to imagine this so as to understand it is to imagine that within this infinite ocean there are currents. These currents are the same as fragments because they differentiate part of the ocean from the rest. These currents are streams of energy. This stream of energy is as indivisible from the eternal whole energy as a current is indivisible from the ocean. You are like a current within the ocean, energetically speaking. You are indivisible from what we call source or god or universe. Your being, thought form, and body is comprised of the same infinite energy that we call God, Source, or Universe, which manifests or expresses itself in the physical form. As people, we then call this same energy, life force energy, kundalini, or prana, depending on what culture you grew up in. 
When a person conceptualizes of himself, he sees himself as life force energy. So many people have called this the soul. However, here's the problem. When people talk about souls, they think about a soul like a clump of energy. In the same way that we think of the body as a clump of energy. When in reality, what we're calling the soul is more like a stream of energy that is simply creating and manifesting an expression of physicality. Also, some qualities of the soul transcend life and death. For example, perception. If perception did not transcend beyond death, then we couldn't perceive death, could we? This means that life is one aspect of the soul, but not all of it. But for this reason, it's important to understand that you can't have a soul, you can't have life, you can't lose life, because you are life. <laughs> this means you are Kundalini. In the lower dimensional energetic levels, just above the physical, this life force stream of energy is manifesting the physical body, but before it manifests the physical body, it arranges itself into meridians and into chakras. It's a basic structure or energetic blueprint of the physical body. For the sake of understanding Kundalini, let's concern ourselves with the ancient Hindu philosophies. The Hindu system called these energy channels nadis and these energy centers chakras. Each of them were observed to correspond to different areas and functions of the human body. It was believed that they fed life force energy to the various parts of the body. The chakras were thought to receive, accumulate, assimilate, and transmit energy in various ways. Kundalini is a Hindu word originating from the yogic philosophy of spiritual practice. Directly, it translates as coiled one or coiled up. The reason for this is that these people of the ancient world believed that it was possible for this energy to be dormant. And for it to be dormant, resting at this area close to the base of the spine, or the backside of your root chakra. And based off of the way that this energy tends to palpably be felt in the body when it moves, which is very stream-like, snake-like, then it's very easy to see this latent energy that they were observing as a coiled up snake at the base of one's spine. There are several reasons why this understanding, though poetic, is very primitive. The first is to believe that Kundalini is restricted or limited to one chakra, even if it was capable of being dormant. This is not the case. It is simply much easier to perceive in those particular areas of the body and the chakras that are related to those areas of the body, because those areas of the body are related to physicality and sensation specifically. The second is that when one is allowing their kundalini energy, the stream of life force energy that is animating their body, it begins to move like a stream would, which we are calling snake-like, right? But the way to conceptualize of this is like if we were to let a dam loose. Imagine what would happen to the water if you were to allow that dam to be out of the way of the way that the water would naturally be flowing. When it is allowed on a lower energetic level, this energy rushes through the meridians and is physically felt running up the spine to make the lower chakras and upper chakras connect as if part of one current. If you have mastery of your kundalini energy, then at will, with conscious focus, or even sometimes spontaneously, you're capable of allowing these gushes of this life force energy through your body. What it gives rise to is this classic sensation 
of shiveriness throughout your body. It also tends to have a quality that is very similar to liquid fire. Now the second and perhaps biggest argument that I have relative to the primitive understanding we have of Kundalini is that it's believed that Kundalini energy is latent energy. Kundalini energy can't actually be asleep. If Kundalini energy is asleep, you are dead. So, what it is that we're perceiving is that Kundalini energy as a quality of animation can be still. And Kundalini is not something that exists that is latent that you have to activate. It is in fact always awake and always active. Even when it's still, it can simply be resisted. And suppression is the form of resistance most exacted upon Kundalini. Kundalini tends to be still to the positive when it is making way for other forms of consciousness that are prohibited or prevented by movement. Things like observation. When consciousness needs to be in a state of observation, Kundalini tends to be still. Now to the negative, and this is the one we need to primarily concern ourselves with, Kundalini can become still when it is resisted enough at the free will that it gets the message from its consciousness or from your consciousness that it is not wanted. Or if somebody is in a state where they're deciding whether they want to be alive in the physical to begin with, Kundalini will tend to be still. For example, when someone's in a coma. Now, the positive form of stillness within Kundalini will feel positive. The suppression of Kundalini, which forces it into this state of stillness through resistance, is going to feel like absolute crap. Kundalini is life within the universe. So the primary question to ask yourself relative to your Kundalini is, how am I resisting life? Resistance is nothing more than opposition. It is any oppositional force. And most of this we are totally unaware of. To understand resistance fully and how it applies to life and spiritual existence, which you really should do if you want to master Kundalini, watch my video titled Urgent, Deal with Your Resistance Before You Do Anything Else. There is a reason for your life to be expressing itself through this body and in this incarnation. Kundalini contains a man's creative potential. Therefore, you need to concern yourself with how you are resisting your authenticity and with that, your purpose for existing here. The various forms of yoga and breathing and self-surrender and meditation and any other consciousness exercise is not actually awakening Kundalini. What it is doing is releasing your resistance. And there is a reason why these techniques work. And if you're called to them, why? You should absolutely try them. <laughs> it's because if you breathe in a specific way and enough, it releases resistance. If you meditate, you release resistance. If you do yoga and move your body in certain ways, it releases resistance. But think about it like this. If you open up the cage to let a tiger out, you don't say, I'm making the tiger run. What you say is, I'm preventing whatever was making it so the tiger couldn't run. <laughs> it isn't to say that these things are bad, to the contrary, they're very good. But there is one major issue that I have with these practices and the way that they're used in the modern world today, is that the majority of people are using these kundalini practices to be able to make up for what they will not change. In other words, they don't resolve the core resistance and make the changes they need to make so as to fully live. The way I want you to see this is that the way that most people are using kundalini practices is almost like if you're in a boat that is sinking because it's this huge 
hole in the bottom of the boat. And every day you do your kundalini yoga. And by doing that, you take a bucket of water off of the deck. Yeah, your boat's going to stay afloat, but you are literally avoiding the main thing that is in the way of your kundalini. If a person was thinking and speaking and acting in alignment with their authenticity and by doing so allowing the full life force to come through their body, there actually would be no reason whatsoever for a person to do those types of actions that we associate with kundalini practices. Or if they did, it would simply be an amplification tool. Therefore, today I want you to swallow that kundalini, which is always awake and is always in a state of animation, whether that state of animation is still or moving, can either be allowed or resisted. Nothing, I repeat, nothing is more important when it comes to your kundalini energy, your life force, than being in perfect alignment with your unique authenticity. Every person comes into this life as a unique expression of source consciousness. This means each person comes in with a unique essence, like an energetic signature, and our unique purpose, and unique thoughts, and unique feelings, and unique desires, and unique needs, and unique role within the greater universe is embedded in that essence. Our life experience is a process of unfolding of oneself as an authentic expression. Now, this is why I have said that awakening is no different than fully stepping into authenticity. Authenticity is the path to awakening, regardless of what road you're taking to that authenticity. Now, obviously, to become authentic, we have to know all of who we are, which includes a great deal more than the story of just who we physically are on this earth. We can only be authentic to the degree that we currently know ourselves. This is kind of scary. This means we can only be authentic to the degree that we are aware of ourselves, and so much of us is suppressed, denied, rejected, and disowned that most of us have no freaking idea who the hell we really are. We're not aware of ourselves. What we are in the world today is what keeps us the safest in our world and in the social groups that we have formed. As a result, we become copies of other people. We become strategies. All of this is a resistance to our own life. To deny yourself including your physicality, your spirituality, your reason for being, your desires, your unique needs, your instincts, your truth. This is to resist your kundalini. To resist your kundalini is to be without energy. It is to create a living death. Nothing allows kundalini energy more than action that is backed by authentic inspiration. This is what living out your life purpose is all about. To understand more about this, watch my video titled How to Be Authentic. Some people experience what is called a kundalini awakening. I'm sure you've heard this flying around spiritual circles as well. What's happening in a kundalini awakening is that because of something this person did, or maybe a spontaneous awakening, <laughs> in one fell swoop, all of the resistance in their being is released, which allows their full embodiment and being to be imbued with life force energy. They are in alignment in one second with their essence. Awesome, right? Yes, from a universal perspective. No, from a physical perspective. Let's say that somebody takes a shamanic medicine and it does this. Or let's say that somebody attends a really intense kundalini um, meditation or retreat. And it does this. It's very hard to integrate that. Because what will happen is a person will have that experience. 
And then, what happens? They haven't made any change to their actual life, and so they get dumped back into the state of resistance. In other words, when they're trying to integrate the experience of totally allowing their kundalini and the awareness that came with it, with the life they were living before, when this life doesn't mirror their authentic truth, they get into problems. Trying to be back in that state of being, thinking those thoughts, taking those actions, living that life becomes absolutely unbearable. This is what so many people are calling kundalini syndrome. Now here's the thing, if anybody awakens in any way, their awareness is going to change the way they can or can't interact with the world. This is why this heightened sensitivity is so much a part of the kundalini awakening. What it gives rise to is this disparity between these two states of being. It's a gap so wide it feels like you're trying to straddle the Grand Canyon. It is painful levels of cognitive dissonance. Painful symptomology. Now, this is the thing. When you have this kundalini symptomology, what is happening actually is that you're experiencing your resistance finally relative to the area of life you had the most resistance before. So a person who has kundalini syndrome is likely to experience those symptoms relative to whatever aspect of their life they had the most resistance in before. If that was on the mental level, they're going to experience more mental symptoms. If that was on the physical level, they're going to experience more physical symptoms. From a universal perspective, the sensitivity that is experienced as a result of a kundalini awakening is an awesome thing. It is not the result of too much energy in the body. It is nothing more than resensitization that is occurring without any awareness of how to adapt or change one's life in accordance to that sensitivity. It is consciousness with no idea how to integrate that conscious awareness within a world that is operating from unconsciousness. Here's the reality. Some of the things you tolerated before you could only tolerate because you made yourself desensitized. The thing is, half the things you were doing you could do because it was in a state of resistance that you were used to. Half the horrible things you were doing you could do because you weren't aware of how horrible they were. Have you noticed the things you could eat before suddenly feel horrible to your body? Haven't you noticed that these things that you thought were normal suddenly in the world seem barbaric? You think the source would look at that and say it's unhealthy or it needs to be toned down? The opposite. You need to adapt your life to that awareness. Many of the things you acclimatize to, you had to go into resistance to your own life force energy in order to acclimatize to. The Kundalini awakening, thank God, makes this no longer bearable. It is no measure of health to be adjusted to a profoundly dysfunctional environment or situation. And this is my biggest issue with the way that people are going about dealing with kundalini syndrome. They're trying to somehow decrease kundalini energy in the body instead of get a person to do what they need to do, which is to make changes in alignment with that very extreme shift in consciousness and quickly. Swallow this for me if you can. It is never about the kundalini. It is never about the amount there is or lack thereof. It is always about the resistance to that life force energy. If a person has been on the path of awakening for a long time, is familiar with the discomfort of that shifting and integration, that stretching feeling, if a person has matured in this way, where they're very used to holding space for these painful states of growth, they're not going to get Kundalini syndrome. And even if they do have symptomologies of shifting consciousness, it's not going to completely destabilize them. If, to the contrary, a person hasn't been on this path of awakening for a very long time, 
if they haven't had to have time and time again where they're used to this stretching of themselves to integrate polarities, if they're not used to having to make changes in accordance with whatever awareness changes and the instability that is the inevitable nature of an uncertain universe where change and mutability is really the foundation of who we are, then chances are this person, because it's considered to be an immature system, is going to suffer from this awakening process, especially if it's an instantaneous and dramatic shift in consciousness. I don't want you to listen to that and think, oh, if I'm experiencing Kundalini syndrome, then there's something that's immature about me. That's not the way that people look at things. It's just obviously the more practice that your being gets at this process of awakening, which can be quite painful, then the easier it's going to be for you to deal with shifts of consciousness. And the higher your frequency gets, the higher your consciousness gets, the more aware you are, the less likely that a shift in consciousness is going to jump you to a whole other level, like jumping to the other side of the Grand Canyon. But this is why, if you're doing any work specifically around the Kundalini, or I would say with spiritual awakening in general, it's a pretty good idea to surround yourself with one person or multiple people who are masters of energy, who have been on this path for a long time, spiritual teachers, somebody who can either guide you through the process itself or help you to integrate these processes once they inevitably occur. A Kundalini awakening is not different to any other form of spiritual awakening. The various negative manifestations of the ego are the oppositional force of the Kundalini. It is simply a way that one culture describes spiritual awakening within an incarnated form. And Kundalini practices are simply certain practices that these people discovered that enable that awakening. It is one path of many to the top of the mountain called awakening. Therefore, there is not a single video that I have ever produced over the course of my career that is not working specifically on the Kundalini. If you are on the path of consciousness, you are on the path of Kundalini. Kundalini is not some supernatural force that lies dormant within people. It is life force energy. Therefore, it is you, whether you resist it or not. Have a good week.